Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Good morning, Community Christian Church. It is so good to be here with you this morning. Thank you for joining us this lovely Labor Day weekend. Those of you joining us online, welcome. It's so good to have you here this morning. I have a question for parents or if you're a young one in the room and you can recall this time of your life, do any of you have a kid that tended to wander off? Like if given the chance, they would find something shiny and just go the opposite way of mom and dad? Anybody, anybody have a kid like that? Anybody that is a kid like that? Any of you over here? Yeah, listen, I have come to a really appreciate those kids being in youth ministry and kids ministry. I, have, I don't have kids of my own, but watching your kids wander off, I get this pit in my stomach of like, I need to come home with all these kids from Cedar Point or wherever. And I have learned the value of the gentle hand on the back, like, come on back, buddy, come on back. And just kind of lead them right back. As any good dad or any good parent, any good leader would do, it's not scolding them. It's out of a place of, I just need you here. I need you close to me. When you're close, I can give you protection. When I was young, my dad used to take me and my brothers camping. And this was one of our favorite things. He had a pop-up camper. We'd tow it to some KOA camp. And we, the four of us would get out there. But now, granted, this is my dad. And at the time, he's single, raising four boys. Some of you already appreciate how difficult of a task that is. But we get to this campground, and my youngest brother, Steve, was that kid, the wandering kid, butterfly, shiny rock, raccoon. Like, he would chase it all over the campground. So because we kept losing Steve, what my dad had the brilliant idea to do was to take a bell, and he tied it on his ankle. First thing in the morning, Steve would get in a bell tied to his ankle, and you would just hear Steve, at probably at like three years old or so, you'd hear ting, 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 as he wanders around the campground. But this is when you knew you had to take notice. He'd get his eye on something, and you'd hear ting, 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 and he'd start running after something. That's when everybody would freeze and be like, where's Steve? Find him, find him. My dad put this bell on, not just to make sure everybody knew where Steve was at, but it was because Steve had a way of finding his way into a situation that could hurt himself. At these campgrounds, whether it's the lake or it's a a dog, an animal, it's just wandering too far. And as any good parent does, they want their kids somewhere within earshot, within eyeshot, because you know that if you can see them, if they can hear you, you have a pretty good chance of protecting them. As any good parent would, our job is to bring our kids close and to protect them until they're able to protect themselves. So I'm not advising the bell method unless you just wanna like go crazy at a camping weekend. Maybe some of you watching online, that's like your idea. Finish it up today and tomorrow while you're at the campground. But that was my dad's method. Hey, single guy raising four boys, you do what you gotta do, right? We all made it out just fine. Today, I want to introduce our series on the hand of God. And as we look at the hand of God, I think if I were to pull the room on your way in, and I just said, hey, we're talking about the hand of God, and gave you no other context, you would probably assume, oh, we're going to talk about the judgment, the wrath, the anger of God, because that's what we think of, this Old Testament view of the hand of God reaching out to smite the sinner. And though there are ways, that's probably not the best way to understand the hand of God, there is judgment, there is wrath. But what we often miss 
is the loving fatherly hand of God that actually leads us and guides us every day of our life. Believe it or not, the hand of God brought you here this morning. The hand of God has brought you to this church, to your community, has brought you to uh, this place you're at in life, and he's continuing to lead you to good places as long as you allow that leading of the hand of God to take you. I love to look at the hand of God as like a dad. I don't know, you know, I know dad situations in the room can be all over the map, but I love the idea of the hand. Sometimes it's real nice and gentle, and other times might have to be by the collar and get you back in place. But the loving hand of God is always trying to move you closer to him and closer to the call he has for your life. So today, I want to take this concept of the hand of God, and I want to zero in on what I believe is the most foundational principle of the hand of God, and that is salvation. That the hand of God leads us to salvation. Now, for a moment, I know when we start talking about the gospel, a lot of people in the room, you can start to say, well, I've heard this story. Like, catch me at Easter, I've heard this. And it's so easy to let the circumstances of life get so big right in front of us that when we start talking about the gospel, we can't see it because what's right in front of us is so big and so scary. It's so intimidating. But can I propose to you today that if for just the next 20 or so minutes, we can take those things, just try your best, scoot them to the side. Let's put our full attention on the gospel this morning. In just what we sang about, the power of God has a way of reorienting what's actually a problem. Today, we're going to talk about the completed work of Jesus that eliminates the problem. Uh, I love when Jesus says, if you have the faith of a mustard seed, you can look at that mountain, tell it to be cast into the sea. In the same way, I'm asking you today to posture your heart and mind and say, all right, God, I'm going to put these things to the side. I'm going to lock in on you this morning. Because I believe if you can lock in on the word of God this morning, you're going to see God move in a beautiful and powerful way on your heart. I believe that the work of the gospel, the salvation message, getting the church back to this basic and really sitting on this, really getting this, and trying to get everything out of it that the Bible has for us, is the perfect place for revival to start. It doesn't start when we have more lights on stages. It doesn't start by more man-made manipulations on a situation. It comes by a reflection on the gospel and our posture towards Jesus because of it. So this morning, we're going to go right back to the basics, but I believe that as we reevaluate, we relook at the gospel, you're going to see it through a lens that goes so much deeper than maybe you've ever heard before. So why don't we set this up, the hand of God that leads us to salvation. Let me show you what that looks like in God's Word. Some of you may know this verse, John 3, 16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This shows you that loving hand of God. Because he so loved the world, he gave He presented the most precious thing that heaven had to offer. He emptied heaven and put Jesus on the earth, forsaking all of his divinity to be man in this series of time. And he said, this is so worth it because I'm thinking of you. 
I want you to be drawn back to me. This is the loving hand of the Father reaching into our situation and giving us Jesus. But God in his sovereignty and God in his goodness can't even break his own rules. He will not invade on your free will. So that's why this second clause in the verse says that whoever believes, it means you have now a choice in the matter. Will you believe or will you not? Whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. I want to propose to you today that this eternal life concept, it is both the life past this one, but there is eternal life that we are supposed to be living in in the natural as well. And we're going to break that down here in just a moment. But we need to go a step further. Romans 10.9, it says that if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We need to get really foundational to start that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and by no other name will we be saved. By no other means. And what I want us to do is to take that and go from salvation, but I want us to take the steps further in, okay, we got our get out of hell free card, and I put that in my wallet. I'll cash that in at some point. I want us to move into what does that mean to walk this out 365, 24-7, in the now. So what I want us to do is to boil down the gospel. Let's really break it down. But to understand the gospel, the good news, you actually can't start with the good news. You have to start with the bad news. The bad news and understanding the bad news gives us the weight of the good news. So let's go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis. God creates man for relationship. He doesn't create us for any other reason than to spend time with him. I love this picture in Genesis. It says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. This very relational, almost like hand-holding, like the picture from our, um, for our sermon. Our, it's uh, this beautiful picture of God walking with his children. And then this horrible event happens. Sin enters the world, and now there is a chasm between where we are and where God is. And it's not anything he wanted, but it's an unfortunate reality that God in his perfect holiness cannot be in the same place as sin. But God was not shaken by this. We know this, that God had a plan in motion. So what do we do now? We recognize that there is this sin problem in the world, and we get Jesus, and Jesus comes, he dies on the cross, and he makes a way for us. But now this is where we get to that second part of John 3.16. We have to now recognize our need for a Savior and believe. I love this part of Jesus because he knows that true love is a choice to be made. Anybody that's married knows exactly what I'm talking about. Who, I would love to see any husband in the room lie and tell me that every day is the greatest day of your marriage. (laughs) Any husband? No? Okay. Listen, love is a choice. I love my wife with my whole heart. And I know she loves me too. But does she like me every day? Probably not. I mean, I do enough dumb stuff to kind of put my foot in my mouth. But this choice to love back despite my, my shortcomings, despite my failures, is a sign of true love. And in the same way, Jesus demonstrates that love for us. Romans 3.23 says that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. This takes us to our very first point, that we have to recognize 
We have to recognize our need for salvation. The hand of God brings us to this point. It's like the the old adage, you can bring a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. We need to recognize this need for a savior. And this is where I want to park for a second. Our need for a savior comes because by our own work, we don't get there. I love the idea that we could work hard enough and earn enough Christian Boy Scout badges and get enough accomplishments that at the end of our life, God would be like, yeah, you're good. I wish that was the case because I would work my tail off. That's how we are wired to work, 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 do, do, do. But the kingdom of heaven is this upside down mentality and says, actually, you just need to surrender. It's not by your works. It's not by your striving. God does not, it does not matter to what level you feel like you are good or not. It doesn't matter uh, how you feel like you compare to another man or to another person. It is only in comparison to God that we are measured at the end of our lives. And I'll tell you, friends, the comparison to God, we fall just a wee bit short, just by a little bit, right? We fall just short. But the beauty is, is that God, by the grace of uh, the work of Jesus, covers that moment and says, I don't see you. I don't see your sin. I actually see the blood of Jesus that covers you. The Bible says he makes you white as snow. Your sin removed as far as the east is from the west. It is in, he cannot even comprehend how far your sin is removed from you by the work of Jesus. But why is it then do we still come back to church and we come back to our day-to-day life and say, ah, but my checklist of faith is just, I keep messing it up. Or God, I'm, I'm such a bad person because I keep messing up. That's, we're thinking in the wrong mindset here. What we gotta be focused on is that the heart of Jesus, by his grace, we are changed. Not by our works that get us to be aligned right. You are aligned right because of Jesus. You are aligned because of his work. I love this passage here in Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. It's a longer passage, but I want you guys to focus in on this. And it uses this language of death. And when, I, when we think about it, we tend to think of it in such a carnal way. But I want us to kind of take the understanding of death in the Bible. And what it really means is that it's separated from God. It's not just you don't have air in your lungs anymore. It's that you are not with God. That's the understanding of death in this context. So anything opposed to God, who is life, anything opposed is death. So let's read Ephesians 2, 1 through 9. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us who also lived among those at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts, like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But, so good, the pivot. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. 
For it is by grace you have been saved, through faith, and it is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God that no one can boast. We see here Paul writes this incredibly beautiful letter encapsulating the whole thing, that at one point we were dead. Walking in any life that is separate from God means we're dead, and it's so hard to wrap our minds around that because there's a lot of good people. But until Jesus has stepped into the situation, in terms of eternity, they're dead. So God leads us to this beautiful point by his loving hand and says, listen, this is where you would have gone, but I have this available to you. He helps us to recognize. And then this is where he takes us to the next step. God leads us to that place. He says, listen, this is where we were meant to go. I've provided this new way. What will you do with this newfound information? And our job is to take that and say, Lord, I repent of my sin. Step two in salvation is repentance. This one, it's a daily act. It's that moment at the altar, but it's also that morning before your cup of coffee while you're doing your Devo. This repentance act realigns our heart. I love thinking about it like this. Uh, Using our analogy of children running away, uh, me and my brothers, we were not, uh, how would you say, we were not the best listeners to dad or mom for that matter, or grandma, or like it didn't matter who, we were not always the best listeners. So we would be running towards something to, that would inevitably hurt us, get us into a fight, or something like that. We would be going this way, and doing actions that take us in one direction, and my dad would be back here saying, Tyler, come on, come on. Can any parent relate to this? The come on, come on, as I am just locked in. The loving hand of God reaches out and he brings you back and says, no, 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 will you turn from this? And repentance means that we're going in one direction, focused on one thing, focused on the ways of the world, and the loving hand of God says, will you turn? Am I worth it? I showed you what could be and what will be if you give your heart to me. What will you do with that information? And the loving hand of God turns us around and we start moving right back towards him. I love this picture of successfully getting your toddler to turn around and not run towards the campfire. And maybe you've seen that like while you're camping. The kid is so enamored with this beautiful bonfire pit. They just want to s'more. And you see their little hands running out and you know what that's going to do. So you're like, come on back, come on back. And when you get their attention, they turn, your heart just settles right in like, oh, okay. They're safe. In the same way, the loving heart of God looks at you and says, I just want your attention. Will you just turn your eyes back on me? Listen, friends, if you've never done that, that's your decision for today to make. And in the same way, maybe you've walked with God for 30 years, in the same way, you can still say, God, I got to get my eyes back on you. And every time you do that, he doesn't return your repentance with, well, you should have did that a long time ago. You should have. He doesn't respond like the way maybe your dad would have responded. I'm just, I'm being honest. I've heard enough dad testimonies in the room to know how that goes. He doesn't respond that way. He's just so excited to get your eyes on him. It fills his heart with joy because the word says that it was so he loved that he gave to make that possible. His heart bubbles up with love for you when you say yes. 
This is our action in response. Maybe you're in this room and you're thinking, Tyler, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. That's requiring a lot from me. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what I've brought to this world. You don't know what I've uh, done to people or to situations, to whatever it is. To think that you are too far from God is to say that the cross wasn't enough for you. Can we just think about that? There's, I mean, not to, let's just call it what it is. There's a little arrogance in us to say that, Jesus, I so appreciate you died on the cross, but man, this sin, that probably is just outside your line of work, isn't it? What? The work of Jesus covers a multitude of sin. It covers everything, and he did not leave one sin outside of his completed work on the cross. Anything you walked into this room with is covered by the blood of Jesus if you give him your heart. So our job is to daily take the sin or take whatever got us to that feeling of uh, brokenness or separation from God and say, God, I'm so sorry. And you unpack, you unload it, and you give it to God and say, God, I'm so sorry. You do an about face. You turn to him and you say, God, it's yours. You present it to the feet of Jesus, and he wraps his arm around you. He takes his loving hand, puts it on your arm, puts it on your back, and brings you in and says, my child, I have you. You're protected. You're covered. You are loved. You are accepted. And it is not by any additional work of yours that will make, you love, make me love you any more than you are already loved. Can I tell you that? As much as I want you in this room every Sunday, but God is not impressed by your church attendance. You're not getting, earning any more love from Him. His love for you is already at a maximum. Everything we do here and out is just as a response to his love. We come here because he loved us. We love because he first loved us. Everything is a response to that love, including our repentance. We take that sin and say, God, you gave me so much. Why would I ever hold on to this anymore? It's yours. We have to confront the things that keep us going this way. There is a battle that we do internally in our spirit where we have to sever the things that keep us going this way. And that can be a battle. That's why the church exists. That's why brothers and sisterhood exist in the church for us to wage war together and say, I am not bound by this anymore. I'm running towards God and I'm running that race with my brothers and sisters in arms with me, moving towards the cause of Christ. That's why I'm here. I was put on this earth to run the race with this church. I was put on the earth to run this race with these students. I was put on this earth to do it with you, and I believe you are here today led by the loving hand of God to do the same. We are running a race that God has set us apart to see the world impacted, to see Sterling Heights impacted, to see your kids and their kids and their kids impacted. God has put his hand on you not to judge you and not to pour out his wrath on you, but to lead you to a life-changing decision that would say, will you give me your whole heart? That's what the hand of God is at work doing. So friends, we saw that we need to recognize our need for salvation, that we need to repent from our sin, recognize our works are not going to get us there. And then this is the beautiful next step. Once you've done those two things— The Bible says you are a new creation. A new creation. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 
If you highlight in your Bible or, you, or you're using the Bible app or whatever, I'd encourage you, mark this one down. This one will get you to that repentance. It will help you in that journey. I read this verse almost every day because it helps remind me of where I'm going. Not where I was, but where I'm going. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 and 19. It says, therefore, if anyone... Not just the select, not just the few. If anyone is in Christ, they are a new, the new creation has come. The old has gone and, it is now, and the new is now here. All of this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was re, uh, reconcil, uh, reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. This is the way I look at it. When we're in that repentance phase, and no matter where you're at or what your process has looked like with the Lord, we all get to this point and say, God, I can't do this anymore. I can't do it my way anymore. And you get going this way, and you're facing the world, and you say, this is too heavy. It's too burdensome. I'm go- I can feel my distance. Your soul is starving, and you can feel it. And you say, God, I got to turn around. I got to face you. And you start stripping off the old you. It's like weights in a backpack. You got to take them off. And God said, that's exactly it. I've made you new. When you give your life to Jesus, your life is no longer your own. That version of you is dead. And there's a new one that is alive, alive in Christ. Jesus is not a tool in your tool belt or an app on your phone. He is your life. You as a new creation is the life of Jesus. There is no difference between, there is no, there should be a distinct difference between the life you lived and the life with Jesus because it's two separate lives. He's not an add-on. He's not a perk or a benefit. He is an entirely new thing in you. You are a new creation. And so what happens sometimes is we get into this repentance mode. We go this way. We, be, we strip off the old and we're ready to walk in the new. And we start running towards Jesus. And almost like a zombie or something, that old self tries to come out and he starts grabbing at your ankles. He starts grabbing at your shirt, pulling you back saying, but remember the old you? The old you that loved that thing or was addicted to that thing or decided to find value in those things? You know, fill in your blank there. That old version of you starts clawing at the back of you as you're running towards Jesus, and you would love nothing more than to crawl on your back and hang on tight. Because eventually it wants you turned back around going this way. How many of you have seen Weekend at Bernie's? It's like carrying around that Weekend at Bernie's uh, body. That version of you is gone. Will you still battle? Will you still make mistakes? Will you still sin? Absolutely. But it's all in an effort of going this way. God has given you the power to break every addiction, to break every curse, to break every setback, and anything that has ever stood against you by the work of the enemy, the work to defeat it is now done. Our job now is to align with Jesus and continue to swat the enemy away. This weekend was the first weekend of college football in a big way, and I love it. You're running for a touchdown. You're just swatting away the defenders. In the same way, we're running towards the the end prize. We're running towards Jesus, and we're keeping every oppressor off us, not by our works, but by the work of Jesus. We plead the word over it. We plead the blood of Jesus over it, and nothing, the Bible says, no weapon formed against you will prosper. It won't. 
That's a promise. That's not just, oh, I hope that happens. That's not just a suggestion to get you through a self-help little downer moment. That is a promise from Jesus that says you will not have, the enemy will not have success against you as long as you live in my word, as long as you are pursuing towards me. You keep the old you. You keep the, uh, the enemy off of your back when you live in his word. So we've recognized the need for salvation. We've repented. We've stepped into a new creation. And this is where we get to the best part. This is where we live it in the day to day. Those first three parts, that can happen right here at an altar today. But then you got to go to work on Tuesday. You got to raise your kids this afternoon. You got to go back to your life. And this is where this important and beautiful last step with the Lord is, and it's lordship. He is Lord and Savior. And can I just be frank with you? I love you enough, I need to say this. There's a lot of us in this room that got the Savior part, but we don't know Jesus is Lord yet. I've been praying about this for weeks because I want to express this correctly. Jesus, he, want, he saves our soul. That at, at, at the end of our lives, we will spend eternity with him. But can I tell you, friends, there is so much more he wants than just the end of your life. Amen. He wants you right now. He wants you as you are to be transformed by him, to walk this out every day. He wants your heart now because your life is meant to be a testimony to live, to see others transformed. Imagine if the Apostle Paul formally saw watching martyrs get killed, watching, he's literally oppressing the church. Imagine if he got saved and waited to the end of his life just to go to heaven. We miss out on most of the New Testament and thousands of lives that never get saved because he decided to make Jesus Lord, not just Savior. The worship team, if you guys want to come on out. Philippians 2, 9 through 11. I love this passage. It says, Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord. I love that this passage, they didn't say that he is Savior. Because if that was the case, you would come down to this altar, you would bow your knee at the cross and say, Jesus, my life is yours, and boom, you'd go to heaven. If that was all we needed. But you have air in your lungs today because there is a call on your life to live this thing out. And you might be in this room and say, Tyler, I have no call. You don't know what I walked in with. I appreciate everything you said, but this whole my life is a testimony thing, trust me, people would run out the door at my story. Can I tell you? That if you, actually, if you cracked this book open and you looked at every story of a man or woman that did something incredible for God and you looked at the back story, I'll tell you what, there is murderers, liars, rapists, killers that impacted the kingdom. And at the end of their life, King David, uh, God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You serve the purpose of your generation. Liar murderer, stole another man's wife, had that man killed. And at the end of his life, 
good and faithful servant, friends, you are not too far. The grace of God is on you right now. And we understand the grace of God is that loving hand. He's led you to this moment. And he's leading you to this altar. He's leading you to this moment for you to say, I want your heart. Now he's just saying, will you give it to me? That's our action of faith. We take our heart and soul and say, Jesus, it's all yours. Not 80%, 90%, not even 99%. You take the keys, put them in his hands and say, it's all yours. Can I tell you, that's a scary thing, but it's the best thing you could ever do. Lord of your life means that he will lead you and guide you every step of the way. And his plans, friends, his word says, they are better than you could even imagine. I lived plenty of life trying to do it my way, only to get stuck in the mud over and over and over again. And maybe you feel that way this morning, but can I tell you, that the Lord wants to not only draw you to his heart, but he then wants to send you so that others can hear this same thing. Acts 4.12, it says, Salvation is found in no one else. There is no other name under heaven and earth by which mankind can be saved. The man that this whole book talks about is alive and active. He's in this room and he's inviting you to relationship. And I look around this room with people I love so much. And if I could, I would carry you on my back to heaven. But I can't. He's waiting for your whole heart to be given to him. And so this morning, we're going to step into a time of communion. And what better way to engage with the work, completed work of Jesus, than to take communion? But I'm going to ask that you take your participation in communion beyond just a religious act, beyond just the first, of, first Sunday of the month action. And I'm going to ask you to do an evaluation and say, where am I at, Lord? Have I recognized my need for salvation? Maybe that's where you're at today. Have I repented of the sin that has held me down? Have I stepped into new creation, or am I carrying the old me around still? Or for many of us in this room, Jesus, have I made you Lord? You saved my soul, but my life isn't yours right now. Wherever you find yourself, may today be the sign you've been looking for, that the hand of God is on your life, leading you to this moment. Thank you, God. We're going to go through communion right now. And I'm not going to ask you to step out. I'm not going to ask you to raise hands because I believe that the Holy Spirit is already knocking on the doors of your heart. I, as I'm here, I'm just getting this sense from the Holy Spirit that there are hearts almost fluttering, like your heart rate's going up a little bit because you know where you stand on those things. That, and that's not me judging you. That's me welcoming you, friend. But the Lord is knocking on your heart right now, and he is saying, I want all of you. I'm going to ask that your participation in communion today is your step of faith 
saying, Jesus, my life is yours. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to ask that you make that the declaration of your action of communion is saying, Jesus, this completed work that this represents, now I'm all in. My whole life is pushed to the middle of the table, and I don't care what happens as a result. I know it'll be better than my own hands. So in 1 Corinthians, it says that on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The broken body of Jesus symbolizes his love for you. That while we were still sinners, Christ broke his body with your heart and mind. So this morning, why don't we take the bread together? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the body. Thank you, God. It says, in the same way, he also took the cup. And after supper, he said, this cup is of the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you, as you drink it in, remem- in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This cup represents the blood of Jesus. And it's this equally violent but equally beautiful picture of exactly what the Father sees when he sees you. When you've made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life, he doesn't see the blemishes of your sin. He sees the crimson red of the blood of Jesus over your life and says, he is righteous. He is a son or daughter. So why don't we at this time take the cup together and let the blood of Jesus wash over our hearts and minds. We thank you, Lord. Thank you for the washing away of sin. Why don't you stand with me this morning as we uh, prepare to worship one uh, to end our service. This song we're about to sing is all about surrender. And for a lot of us in this room, the idea of surrendering is the hardest part. That's your hurdle. You want your soul saved, but you don't want to surrender your life. Can I tell you, friends, they're not exclusive. They are, it's together. You don't get to, there is no a la carte to this whole salvation thing. So what I'm going to ask you today, that as you worship, this would be your expression of faith, your prayer towards God, of where your heart is. We love you, Lord. So Jesus, we thank you. We thank you for your word. Lord, we just pray that by your Holy Spirit, hearts would be transformed and open, ready to receive your work of your Holy Spirit. Pray for healing across this room, mind, body, and spirit, that by your stripes, we are healed. Our soul is healed and reconciled unto you, and our body can be made new like the way you intended it to be, and our soul can be set at ease from the oppression of the enemy. We thank you that by the blood of Jesus, we are made new. Jesus, would you touch every heart and mind in this room? We say yes to you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.